This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. The Everest Carnival is in full swing and the action now moves to Royal Randwick for the Tab Epsom, the Heineken 3 Metropolitan and the Dali Flight Stakes. Saturday, October the 12th features the Spring Champion Stakes and the first Silver Eagle. Then to the 19th for the $14 million Tab Everest and the Kosciuszko worth $1 million. The $1 million Bondi Stakes for three-year-olds highlights the Randwick card on October the 26th. Saturday, November the 2nd, and the action returns to Rose Hill Gardens for the race they're all talking about, the inaugural $7.5 million Golden Eagle for four-year-olds, supported by the $1 million Redzel Stakes. Then it's out of town on November the 16th for the Hunter, worth $1 million at Newcastle, followed a week later by the Gong, also carrying a purse of $1 million at Kembla Grange. For punters, for horse lovers and for those with a sense of occasion, this will be an Everest carnival for the ages. Greg Hickman has known from childhood days in Gunnedah that he was destined to spend his life with horses. Like many country kids, he started off in pony club, competing at many shows and jamborees in the northeast of the state. Later, and this is not widely known, he became an amateur jockey enjoying moderate success at the picnics in many different regions. He rode on one occasion at the famous picnic meeting at Come By Chance in the Walgett Shire. For the record, he rode 11 winners from 50 rides before quitting the saddle. His first job in a racing stable was with Jeff Smith at Gunnedah, and later he joined Colleen Underhill at Quarrabalong near Cessnock, and here he learned many of the finer points from an excellent horsewoman. Next stop was Crown Lodge at Warwick Farm, where he applied for a job and was absolutely delighted when he gained a start. He spent nine years in that famous racing stable, starting as a strapper, graduating to a foreman's role and absorbing knowledge like a giant sponge. For the latter part of his time there, he actually worked eight horses of his own. Pretty hard to do. A mare called Perfect Flight launched his solo training career in Sydney and laid the foundation for a journey which has led him to the privileged position of having a runner in the Everest on the 19th of October. Greg Hickman, a delight to have you on the podcast. No, you're welcome, John. Well, this is a dream come true, mate. I know this time last year you were hoping he'd get into the Everest. He didn't. He ran in the Sydney Stakes instead, and he absolutely flew. Yeah, no, he, uh, he ran very, very well on that day. I think he went faster time than the Everest winner. Yeah, no, he uh, he did, but there was a shower in between, but uh, he, uh, he wasn't in the Everest, but uh, he certainly did run terrific on the day. He runs in the Aquas Farm slot on the 19th of October, now, it was reported that Aquas Farm had purchased Pirata for stud duties after his win in the All-Age Stakes back in April. Now, were you led to believe that you wouldn't be seeing him again at that time? No, John, there was only negotiations and um, 
there's been negotiations going on for some time and um, that was never, ever going to be the case to my knowledge. Well, it wasn't long after when the news broke that he was coming back into work with Greg Hickman at Warwick Farm and that he would gain the aqua slot in the big race. I can't imagine how thrilled you were. Yeah, no, to be, uh, to be able to have an opportunity to... Um, to have a runner in this race, which is uh, worth so much money, and um, I mean, it's the biggest prize money race in, uh, in Australia, I think. He's got bigger and stronger and better with every preparation, and how does he look today? Yeah, no, I just had him out in his yard today with a bit of sun on his back, and he's just starting to dapple up, and mm. he's, just, uh, he's just wonderful, just licking the bin clean, his work's been sharp and sweet, and uh, mm. pretty happy. He was very immature early on, wasn't he? He took forever. Yeah, we had to be very patient, John, with him. Um, we just had to take tiny steps, and we did that, and... He did a super job for us at the Gold Coast, winning the uh, the bonus up there, and he won 1.5 million in one race. So mm. that's where the start of the big race has come from, and now we've just got to do the next one. What a journey it's been. 21 starts, eight wins, eight placings, 3.6 million all up. He's won a Group 1, two Group 2s, two Group 3s. It's hard to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah, you've got, to, you've got to pinch yourself sometimes, John. You know, and he's done it so naturally and so easily as well. Mm. He can get a little bit toey on race day, you tell me. Look, he knows when the races are on. Um, I don't know how, but you know, we have to do a bit with him uh, race morning just to mm. um, ease the nerves a bit. I oh, do, you. And if you don't do that, Greg, he's uh, off his face, as they say. Yeah, no, he um he gets a bit um bit more eager to get going, get the job done than what he would normally. Yeah, and wasting energy at the t- yes. same time. Yep. Well, you've got his racing style worked out, haven't you? One go, uh, and hopefully in in the Everest, uh, you'd love to be about fourth, one horse off the fence with plenty of speed on. Well, that seems to be where he likes to be, and. Um yeah, to be able to do that and hit the line like you can do, it would be uh, what we'd all be after. Now, he's having a barrier trial on the 8th of October, but he won't be racing again before the 19th of October. Yeah, that's right. We'll give him a barrier trial and um, that seems to be to keep him nice and fresh for, for the race and just to take a bit more energy and just keep his fitness levels up to peak. Following your short stint as an amateur jockey, you and your wife Erica prepared a few horses, I'm told, from the Bogabri showground. That's right, Erica come from Bogabri and um, I mean, just mad about trying to become a racehorse trainer. We had a few there and we raced in the picnics and um, around the place and started a, started a few in um, Tamworth and Narrabri and places like that. Mm. Well, let me remind you about your very first winner. It was a maiden handicap at Moree in 1987 with a tiny little mare called La Briquette. And I was particularly interested to uh, research this fact, Greg, because she was ridden that day uh, by a bloke who's long retired but rates as one of the greatest 
country jockeys ever produced in this country? Leon Fox. You know, uh, Leon was uh, the leading rider in the area and it was, uh, when you have a look at the picture, it's quite funny because Leon's such a big man and um, mm. uh, Labrigat was such a small horse, but uh, he did a wonderful job on it. He uh, would sneak to Sydney, you know, when he was an apprentice. He was still claiming seven pounds at the time and he rode as well as any of the top fully-fledged jockeys in Sydney and he'd sneak down for a ride or two. They'd usually both win. And uh, the late, great Billy Cook said to him one day in the jockey's room at Warwick Farm, in walks Leon Fox, and Billy Cook said to him, are you back again, you thief? (laughs) (laughs) He was still claiming seven pounds in town. Yeah, no, he was a good jockey. He uh, had a, uh, one of the first guys, I think, to have a stint in Hong Kong, and he did very well there too, I think, John. Mm. I want to clear up another unconfirmed report that Greg Hickman is a qualified bricklayer. that true? No, that's true, John. Um done my time um, with uh, Paul Bowen and Ken Bricknell in uh, Gunnada and it was uh, to keep mum happy. I had to get a trade. Um, yeah, so we, we did the we did the hard yards there till I could get out and do what I really wanted to do. Mm. How long since you've laid a brick? Not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Backbreaking work, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was hard work, but uh, I mean, it was uh, what we had to do in those days to. Uh, yeah. Mum always wanted you to have a trade and, and we uh, got that out of the road for her and, uh, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned mine Mum. A, mine, was, mine was elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Mum, Margaret, still alive. You lost your dad, Ron, quite some time ago, Greg, but they were tremendously supportive in the early days when you were riding at Pony Club and then onto your career as an amateur jockey. They were right behind you every step of the way. That's right, John. Mum and Dad were uh, fully supportive and little story where they used the child endowment money to buy my first pony and mm. they went without a lot but, uh, to uh, do that for me and it was very much appreciated. Your very first job in a commercial stable, as I mentioned in the intro, was with a bloke called Jeff Smith. I think he was at Baraba originally, but you knew him in Gunnedah. Yeah, that's right. Um, Jeff was a trainer at Gunnedah, and that's where we uh, we got involved and um, rode a bit of track work on some of his good horses there, and it was a great learning curve at the early stages. Mm. Later, you moved to Quarrabalong near Cessnock and linked up with Colleen Underhill, a lady who really knew how to get one ready, Greg, as I recall. Yeah, Colleen was a wonderful trainer. She, um, they bought some horses from New Zealand from time to time and um, and got them to the races like Mr Marceau was a wonderful horse. Could have been anything, the horse, I thought. He mm. did a very, very good job, but he was a wonderful racehorse and... Um, he won lots of good races. Well, you landed a job at Crown Lodge. You were there nine years. Now, was all of that time in the Ingham era? Yeah, no. Um, we um, decided we uh, had to come to Sydney because uh, 
wanted this to go better, John. Wanted to do do it better, and wanted to. Uh, you know, I mean, seen we've seen a lot of uh, what goes on in the industry. Wanted to win some of the group races, so uh, took another step to move the family to um, Sydney. And through that, we went to Crown Lodge, and it was a uh, wealth of experience there through. Um, yeah. Uh, Vic Thompson and um, John Hawks and uh, Peter Snowden and mm. it was just a wealth of knowledge and they've all uh, been very good along the way to me. You had eight horses of your own in work while working for Crown Lodge. How the hell did you get yours worked? Oh, very hard, John. Now it's um, of a morning and early morning. I mean, I used to start before work and do some in my uh, breakfast time and then when we knocked off, I'd do the rest of them. And then uh, after a while, I got too much and I ended up having a girl work for me and um, we'd done it that way where we sent the horses, made a program, sent the horses on the track and the girl that was working for me would do them. Yes, yeah. Looking back, you wonder how you ever got it done. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing what you can do when you really want to do something. And you were younger too, Greg, that helps. Yeah, that's for sure, John. Well, Perfect Flight meant almost as much to you and Erica in the late 90s as Pirata does today, almost. She got you going. She won 10 races, three in town, five at Newcastle, one at Kembla and one at Wyong, and that was a beauty, the Wyong Christmas Cup. And uh, the best part of all was you owned one third of her. Yeah, no, it was a, uh, it was a wonderful story too, John. Um, we went to the uh, the uh, classic sales uh, at Ramwick at uh, Inglis's and I decided I was going to buy a horse and uh, we uh, borrowed uh, $10,000 off the, the bank <laughs> and uh, I said, what do you want the money for? And I told him the truth. I said, I want to buy a horse. He said, well, you can't be doing that. We better put it down to a lounge. So uh, <laughs> we bought. We uh, we we got the money and we uh, often we went and we bought perfect flight. Hey mate, that'd be a pretty good lounge. Ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, it might have been two then, John. Yeah. Before we leave perfect flight, she later became the dam of a horse called He's Canny who won five from 18 before having a bleed. He won three at Rose Hill, one at Randwick, and you said we never saw the best of him. He's canny. He finished racing about 08. Yeah, no, he was a very, very good horse. Um, he uh, just um, made my training go to a, a, the next level. Um, it had... As I said to you, the untold ability, we never saw the best him. We had bad flat feet. Mm. As you said, he bled and uh, just a wonderful horse to us. You've done a terrific job with cheap yearlings. Here's one. What about Sportsman? An $8,000 purchase who went on to win 782000 He won 10 races and nine of them were in town. The Group 2 Peter Pan Stakes, which is now the Golden Rose. Uh, the Show County Quality listed. The Group 3 Tramway. The Group 2 Shannon. The Group 2 Expressway. And the jockeys uh, to be associated with him 
through that period were Daryl McClellan, Zach Purton and Christian Reef. I think, won a race on him too. Yeah, no, uh, Christian uh, won on Sportsman. That was his biggest uh, race um, success, but he's gone on and done better since, Christian. And mm. um, he was a wonderful horse, John. He had a wonderful attitude and um, a very determined horse as well. So uh, I think that's where he got all his inspiration from. He ran in a couple of Group 1s, Greg. He started in a Stradbroke and a Doombin 10,000. He was unplaced in both, but he certainly wasn't disgraced. Yeah, well, you know, in the hard races, you know what I mean? And that's why when you look back at Parada and, and how easily he does what he does at his job, but look, he was always doing his best sportsman. Maybe the trainer was learning a little bit too along the way, but he mm. gave his all and... Uh, Look, uh, I'd like to have another one like him too one day. Uh, you will. You will for sure. There'll be a, a great flow on, uh, I'm sure, from Pirata. Now, your first Group 1 winner was Royal Perla, another $8,000 yearling. She was by Hector Protector. Uh, she was out of a mare by Ptolemyo. She only had 16 starts, three wins, three seconds, and she actually started in the Jim Crack Stakes, Greg. She ran second at her first start. Yes, she ran second to Delolly's and uh, mm. Barry Connors was, I mean, he's very good at training two-year-olds. And, yeah, no, it was very, very, very exciting when uh, we started her and she, uh, she ran second in that race. Mm. She went on to win a couple of two-year-old races at Canterbury and Randwick, ridden by Brian York and Robbie Brewer, respectively but she put it all together in the spring of 2002. She ran fifth in the Silver Shadow, second in the Furious, fourth in the T-Rose, and then she won the Flight Stakes Group 1 with Patrick Payne in the saddle. Yeah, no, it was, it was amazing. You know, I'm sitting in the stables and every time someone come in, I say, see that horse there, I'm going to win the flight stakes for her. And uh, Eric yeah. said, stop telling people that you're mad. Yeah. So you thought she was a good thing? Well, she just was very well, John, and, you know, I mean, everything was going the right way and the hair was becoming, you know, um, starting to glow and everything mm -hmm. was just perfect. No, work was good. I wrote her all work myself and uh, mm. I just felt that she was doing everything very good. Mm. Well, you pushed on into the Melbourne Spring with Royal Pearlie. You took her down for the 1,000 guineas and she ran about fifth. Any excuses that day? No, not really. Probably, no, she was probably getting to end of lots of preparation, mm. hadn't travelled a horse before. No, there was no real excuses. Probably... Just probably just at the end of a tether. You know, I was doing post-race interviews for Sky Racing the day she won the flight stakes, and I can remember grabbing you by the arm after the race to move you over to our broadcast position. And, Greg, I remember this. You've probably forgotten. You were absolutely trembling with excitement. It made me realise at the time what a win at that level uh, can mean to one of the smaller stables. You were very, very excited. Yeah, for sure, John. Um, 
it even gets emotional now just uh, thinking back, you know. I mean, mm. you think about lots of things. I mean, the hard work it took everybody to get there and been lucky enough for a small stable to be able to uh, win a race of, uh, of that latitude. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll just pause here, Greg, for a moment or two to clear a commitment on the podcast back after this. A catalogue of almost 200 horses will be offered for sale at the final Inglis auction of the year, the 2019 Ready to Race sale at Riverside Stables on Tuesday, October 22nd. All horses are two-year-olds, broken in and prepared by experienced horse people and presented for sale, literally ready to race. Each horse will undertake a breeze-up session, which is a gallop ending in a 200-metre sprint. Each breeze-up will be recorded, which will enable prospective buyers to get a gauge on a horse's action, size and potential ability. There'll be an additional breeze-up session this year at Eagle Farm in Brisbane on Monday, September the 23rd, and other sessions will be held at Cranbourne, September the 13th, Warwick Farm, September 20th, Taupo in New Zealand, September the 23rd, with a second session at Warwick Farm on Friday, October the 18th. The strength and quality of the English ready-to-race sale catalogue is unparalleled in Australasia. Special guest is Greg Hickman. Well, a year or so later, another one of your cheap yearlings burst onto the scene. His name was Sir Dex. A $12,000 yearling this time. You really spent up that year at the English Classic Sale. He was by a horse called Dexter, who was unknown in Australia. He was out of a Masque mare. He had 29 starts for five wins, seven placings, and 831,000. Now, Dexter, Greg, was an unraced horse, an English horse, by the great stallion Green Dancer, but he certainly wasn't fashionable. No, I think um, Dexter was probably one of the best horses that uh, Dexter produced. And, look, he was a uh, horse that come along. He was very green. I think he, uh, we started him off at Bathurst, and he'd done everything wrong and we decided to tip him out and then he came back and Huey Bowman went on him at Warwick Farm. And had a bit of a rap for him after the race, didn't he? He liked him. Yeah, no, he said he was a very, very nice horse. He, um, yeah, he did give him a rap. I just forget the exact words, but uh, yeah. no, he was pretty eager to put his uh, leg over him again. Mm. Well, he went on to win the Carbine Club Stakes at Flemington with Damien Oliver up. That's a Group 3 over the Melbourne Cup Carnival. He won a three-year-old race at Rose Hill with Darren Biedman up. He won the Prime Minister's Cup of 2005 with Darren Biedman in the saddle. He won the Warwick Stakes, which was then a Group 2, ridden by Zach Purton. All up, Greg, he ran in six Group 1 races. Yeah, well, he was probably unlucky not to win one too, John. You know what I mean? This goes to show you how hard it is to win a group one. And, um, no, he was a very special horse and um, gave a lot of people a lot of pleasure. A filly called Merger Lisa Lass gave you a big thrill in 2011 when she won the Group 1 Vinery Stud Stakes. Where did she come from? 
Yeah, um, the um, the stud rang up one day and said, um, uh, would you like a horse? You know what I mean? We've got one left in the paddock. And uh, mm. I said, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, love to. And then we leased uh, Merger Lisa off of Paul Higgins. And um, she just come into the stables and she, she was a cracker when, you, when I first saw her. Mm. A lovely, big, strong mare. And... Um, you're just a bit of a guide sometimes. When everybody wants to ride them, you know that they've got something about them. And she was a nice ride and she gave everyone a great feeling and she took a little time to work her way along things, but uh, uh, no, very good mare. Her first win was in a maiden two-year-old on the Sunshine Coast. Michael <laughs> Carl rode her that day. Her second win was at Newcastle with Robert Thompson on board. Her third was at uh, Warwick Farm Tommy Berry uh, in the saddle on that occasion. Corey Brown won a race on her on the Kenzo track and then she went into the Vinery Stud Stakes at $51. But you thought she was way over the odds and I think Corey Brown did too, didn't he? Yeah, Corey was uh, at a function and he said at the function that uh, it was his best ride for the for the day and... Um, She's got us all excited. Mm. And where was she in the run in that race? Yeah, no, remembering that she sort of got back a little bit and Corey cut the corner and Tommy got around the corner, he was just about at the that in the lead. So, uh, and then she took off and, and there and, and won very convincingly in the end. Private secretary was a terrific mayor for the stable. She was a $40,000 purchase from a Jerry Harvey draft. She went on to win eight races, $1,043,000 in prize money. Now, Greg, just looking back, she developed a little tendon problem, didn't she, early on, and you had to put her away for a long time. Yes, she had um, a little – the fibres weren't – we picked it up by accident, John. The fibres weren't sort of running the right way and – so we said the best thing to do with her to give her every chance is to put her in the paddock and she spent six months plus in the paddock and mm. to help the, help everything heal and um, we did that and to our favour or to our luck that she, she knew how to gallop. She didn't have to teach her anything. She knew everything that she had to do. So giving her time made life a lot easier for everybody when she came back. Mm-hmm. Well, one of her wins was memorable. A Phillies and Mayors Magic Millions. Yeah, no, she ran second the year before, and, and um, I thought she nearly could have won that that year too. And um, she, she, with her racing um, trade, which she got back, and and that sort of doesn't really suit the Gold Coast, but she's got this huge finish on her, and um, she hit the line super and won by a uh, short half head. Mm. You tell me she was the perfect racehorse. Yes, she was. The only thing she just didn't like it was that when horses coming back towards her, she didn't like that. But mm. so as far as riding her and um, going around the, uh, uh, like teaching her to be a racehorse, uh, she knew everything. You know, mm. didn't have to touch one little thing. You opened a satellite stable in Queensland a couple of years ago. You've got nine boxes there. Uh, that was a, a big move, Greg, but um, 
I think you you tired of taking horses up there and uh, finding you couldn't accommodate them. Well, I just looked at it this way, John. Like if you set horses for the Magic Millions and it's getting bigger and and strong all the time, to give yourself the best opportunity was to have them up there and get climatized mm. to the conditions that you have to race under, mm. and. It's just, I don't know, you're just always sort of trying to push the extra bit out of yourself to do a little bit more. People say you shouldn't be doing it, but mm. you just wanted to do that to give us another tool to be able to um, place our horses to the best we possibly could. Mm. And who's looking after the Queensland operation? Yeah, a lovely girl called um, Tennille Ranger. She's uh, She was trained as a vet nurse, uh, She's worked for a lot of good people uh, in the uh, industry. Uh, it's got a wealth of experience, got a great nature. Everyone loves to work with her. Um, yeah, just a good person, very good person. Well, you've just sent old top striker up to Tennille. He's now an eight-year-old, 44 starts, nine wins, nine placings getting up towards half a million in prize money. He's been an old ripper for you, top striker. And he raced at Doombin on Saturday, uh, yesterday, the 28th of September. And uh, Greg, he had no luck. He came from near last and hit the line like a powerhouse. Yeah, no, it was a uh, super run, John. He um, jumped well and there was a little bit of a heckle in front of him and, uh, and he ranked against the grain of what was going on. As we said, he got back and most of the winners were up on pace there yesterday. And, uh, yeah, he's just he's only just starting to learn what he's supposed to do, I'm sure of it. And he gave uh, Matthew McGillray a great ride and uh, he hit the line super, as you said. You'd be amazed if he didn't win a race or two in Queensland. Yeah, and... Yeah, well, that's why we designed it, you know, I mean, for those sorts of horses or, you know, I mean, it's very, very strong in Sydney at the moment. Mm. And um, you can go up there and he can come back and grade a little bit and uh, win a few more dollars for the owners. Now, I want to ask you about those stable colours of yours. They're very well known and they're very identifiable. Yellow and red diagonal stripes with the dark blue sleeves and red cap and from a race caller's viewpoint, and I'm sure most uh, onlookers and spectators will agree, they do stand out. Yeah, um, we designed those colours. I wanted to uh, have the, the same design as Bart Cummings' colour, being a, a fan of Bart's, and so I decided to go red and yellow, and the lady that was making said, you can't ha have them. Mm. She said, uh, I said a royal blue sleeve would look nice on them. I said, well, that'll do me, thank you. Yeah. Well, Pierre carries the same colours. He's given them very good publicity. But I noticed he carried uh, your jacket uh, in winning the shorts last Saturday week, but Tommy Berry actually wore the Aquas Farm cap. So you must have come to some arrangement there. Yeah, that was just one of the arrangements in the slot that they, they would like to do, um, have their cap to go around so we could keep our colours. I don't know how the trainers of the Everest runners will maintain their composure on the 19th of October. How do you think you'll be? Been pretty good so far. I mean, um, 
haven't realised um, what it really means to everybody. Uh, heck of a lot of money. It's just all about making sure my horse is like uh, when I said about uh, Royal Perla. Every mm-hmm. hair's got to be put in place at the right time and yeah. you just got to be very uh, observant of what's going on and uh, just keep on the ball. You've always had the reputation of being a pretty good judge of the prospects of your own horses. You thought Sportsman would win the Peter Pan Stakes. You thought Royal Perler was a special in the Flight Stakes. But I've just remembered a better one than that. Do you remember that horse, Tax Me If You Can, five or six years ago now? He won a couple of races. He was placed many times. But I can recall there was one day you tipped him to anyone who'd listen before the Scone Guineas. Blake Shin was the rider. Yeah, uh, you, know, you forget what you say sometimes, John. I mean, I, I, and I told some of the boys we'll win the Scone Guineas with this horse and I was probably a bit tongue-in-cheek and they all took it serious and, geez, they had a wonderful day when they collected their money. You've told me many times that your wife, Erica, is by far the best performer you've ever had in the stable. Now, you're probably looking for brownie points when you say that, but it is true beyond question. Yeah, no, not really. Um, she does a wonderful job. I mean, she's a, she's a nurse by trade and she understands that part of it. And we we work together pretty good. She's my uh, biggest critic and keeps me on my toes with what's going on because she can't remember everything. And yeah. training now has became, become more teamwork than any, any ever. Mm. time it has been before and um, she's the perfect backup person you'd ever want to have in the stable. And a great ambassador for the place and she likes people and people like her. Yeah, no, Erica loves it at Yak and um, and she's got a great knowledge now since we've been together with the horses over the years and she's learned a heck of a lot and um, probably do just as good a job if not better than what I could. Now, come on, Greg, you're being humble beyond belief. No, not really. She goes pretty good. She goes pretty good. She, <laughs> well, when you, when you hang around each other, something's got to rub off, John. Yeah, that's right. You've been hanging around for a long time. Yeah, 32 years we've been there, so uh, it's been, uh, been some rocky roads, but we've got there. You've got a three-year-old gelding in the place I wanted to ask you about. You might have put him away for a while. His name is 11-11. He's won three from eight. He won a couple on the trot and both by big margins. He looks a lot better than average. What have you done with him? Yeah, no, he's back in work now, John. Um, he'll, he'll head up um, somewhere near January. He'll go back to the Gold Coast stables to... Um, running the Magic Millions races, lead-up races to the Magic Millions up there. Mm. This is probably an unfair question. You you wouldn't have looked too much ahead uh, following the Everest, I would imagine, but where will Pirata go after the Everest? Is Melbourne on the radar? Yes, we've um, nominated for a race in in Melbourne, a sprint race down there. I'm just uh, not too sure the name of it, but he's also been nominated to go to Hong Kong for the sprint race over there. You've been there before? Only on holidays. Went over to have a look at the races once before, but uh, not as in 
travelling horses over there. Yeah, what a gigantic thrill that would be to have Pirata there for the Hong Kong Sprint uh, just before Christmas. Yeah, no, it'd be, uh, it'd be really, really good. I mean, you don't expect the, the little blokes from Gundar to be able to be uh, taking horses <laughs> overseas. Or, or even more to the point, the little bloke who once rode at Come By Chance. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I mean? You just keep trying and that's what you've got to do in this in this world. You've just got to keep trying, keep doing your best and uh, hopefully uh, it comes off one day. Well, Gregory, very few things in life come by chance. They come as a result of perseverance, dedication and hard work and you certainly tick every box. Yeah, well, that's what I was taught. And, you know, I mean, when you, when you buy, buy a shearer out of a farmer's daughter... I'm bred to work, so you've got to use your best uh, attribute. <laughs> Buy a shearer out of a farmer's daughter. A very strong pedigree. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Greg Hickman, and this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. Supernova Sound.